Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wikistrat podcast. My name is Einate Lazari, and I am the Director of Research and Analysis at Wikistrat. In this episode, I'm honored to speak with two experts on India domestic and foreign affairs, Purnima B. and Iranjan Marjani. Purnima is a doctoral candidate from India and part of the Wikistrat experts community. Her research interests include conflict analysis, India's foreign policy and national security, and Middle East geopolitics. Niranjan is a political analyst based in Vadodora, India. His work focuses on India's foreign policy, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Indo-Pacific region. Today, we are going to discuss the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 crisis in the country on different domestic, regional, and international affairs. Purnima, Niranjan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Aina, for having us. So my first question concerns probably the most tense relations of India in the region, and it is how and to what extent is the COVID-19 pandemic uh, currently impacting India's focus on its relationship with Pakistan? Purnima, if you can start, it would be great. Thank you, Aina, for that question. Okay, if you ask me, there hasn't been any uh, forward movement with respect to the bilateral ties between India and Pakistan since the onset of the pandemic. However, if we see whatever has happened in 2021 has been much better and positive than the events that happened in 2020. The relations were at a low where we saw a lot of verbal duels and diplomatic spats. India wanted to trim its uh, staff support in its embassy in Pakistan as well as cut down on the staff in Pakistan's embassy in India, accusing Pakistan of espionage and mistreatment of its diplomats. And a few months before that, when the SARC meeting was convened in during the onset of the pandemic to come up with some sort of a regional strategy to fight the pandemic together, Pakistan pulled up the Kashmir issue and also the issue of the abrogation of Article 370 that gave special rights to the former state of Jammu and Kashmir. And I think 2020 also saw a lot of ceasefire violations, about 48% more than what happened in 2019. And a lot of blame games happened in multilateral forums such as in FATF and UN. When we look at 2021, the first small but significant uh, development that happened was uh, the resumption of the 2003 ceasefire agreement uh, along the line of control. And uh, a few days after that, the United Arab Emirates even offered to mediate between India and Pakistan to resolve the Kashmir issue. However, nothing much has happened in that front. And uh, it is questionable if India would entertain a third party in the Kashmir issue deliberation. As traditionally, we've seen that India hasn't been really uh, encouraging of such third-party uh, intervention. Apart from that, we have seen some positive sort of exchange between the leaders of uh, both the countries. Prime Minister Modi wrote to Pakistan's Prime Minister on uh, Pakistan's National Day. And even we've, in a number of instances, uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan had all, also expressed the mutual benefits of a working India-Pakistan relations. However, uh, Pakistan has continued to hold ties hostage to the Jammu and Kashmir issue. And uh, because of that condition, the, the ties haven't been able to move forward. One other thing that has actually demonstrated 
how stagnant the relations were in the past two years is in the trade front where pakistan had in april decided to continue the trade ban on india which it had initiated in the later months of 2019 following the abrogation of article 370 and uh, this has and will continue to cost a lot for pakistan because uh, pakistan is disproportionately reliant on uh, trade with india with especially with respect to its import of sugar cotton or cotton derivatives about 90% of india pakistan bilateral trade ties uh, favors india and uh, this will continue to affect pakistan in the long run if this continues so answering to your question what has happened uh, in the past two years since the onset of the pandemic it has happened only because of events that have preceded the covid-19 scenario but not because of the covid-19 crisis per se the pandemic has an influence the trajectory the relations have taken in the last years but however one thing is clear the pandemic has indicated that it is far from possible for the two states to work together to fight a crisis that has been haunting the entire world and especially south asia thank you thank you punam it's very interesting nilanjan what is your take on this question uh-huh. yeah thank you aina and uh, yes like how covid-19 pandemic has uh, affected india pakistan ties then uh, i would say like purnima said it hasn't affected much and india pakistan ties continue to remain where they were about two years back because since 2019 uh, the bilateral relations have been really deteriorating first because of pakistan back terror attack at pulwama and later india abrogating article 370 in jammu and kashmir so through the pandemic through 2020 and even in the current year the ties have continued uh, to remain tense somewhat a few developments have occurred like the ceasefire agreement in february and some indications of thaw in relations such as uh, the possibility of resuming trade ties or some exchanges between the leaders of uh, both the countries but these have failed to materialize and these have not resulted in any progress so yes and at a time when most of the international engagements are taking place with respect to the pandemic and with respect to cooperating with each other to face this challenge india pakistan relations have been an exception and the kashmir issue continues uh, to be haunting these relations and pakistan's insistence on india restoring article 370 as a precondition to start the uh, dialogue again so I don't think in this scenario India will take any step forward to resume talks with Pakistan and it wouldn't matter if any country has offered to mediate between India and Pakistan but uh, India is uh, totally clear on this issue that this is a bilateral issue and it won't uh, accept any uh, third party mediation in this so I think the covid-19 has not really shifted focus yes focus on pakistan and india's focus continues to remain with respect to security concerns that come from pakistan so that is what i think about the status of india pakistan relations thank you it's very very interesting two interesting answers to that question punim i'd like to proceed to my following question um, and that relates to the us plan withdrawal from afghanistan how is the expected us withdrawal from afghanistan in september expected to impact the india's relations with the region's countries with its with its neighbors and countries beyond its neighbors 
All right. Uh, so U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan will, of course, ensure heightened instability in Afghanistan, as well as uh, cause potential trouble to security of the South Asian region, causing several spillover effects, including a rise in drug trafficking, uh, arms smuggling, of course, cross-border terrorism and refugee outflows, among uh, several other security issues. And this is something the regional states like India, Iran, China, or even Pakistan would not want, especially in a scenario in a post-US Afghanistan where Taliban advances, the threats might be even more credible. So India will look to cooperate with regional states with or without the participation of Pakistan to bring about a stable and strong government in Afghanistan that, that can be enabled to contain the threats by itself. So another problem is when Taliban takes over Afghanistan. And if such a scenario happens, then eventually Pakistan might have to fall back to supporting the Taliban. Right now, it's trying to balance between the U.S. and the Taliban, and it's it's walking the tight ropes between the two parties. However, Taliban would not prefer U.S. to even be present in its neighborhood, let alone Pakistan. So Pakistan will be put to test when powerful Taliban resurges in Afghanistan. And uh, India will definitely not prefer Pakistan uh, giving its full support to Taliban. And uh, because of this circumstance, uh, it might warrant India to engage and deliberate directly with Taliban in order to protect its interests in the region. And uh, I'm of the opinion that this will be the strategy for other regional states too, if they seek to safeguard their interests. The point here is that uh, Taliban will possibly welcome rapprochement with uh, India for many reasons, including the fact that it might give it some sort of credibility in the international community. And also, it does not have to overwhelmingly rely on Pakistan for its international linkages. And uh, Pakistan will nevertheless oppose such engagement uh, between India and Taliban, but this will indeed India a better hand with respect to the issue in Afghanistan as well as the security of its interests in the region. However, ultimately, I think the peace process in Afghanistan will decide most of it, whether the government in Kabul will continue to hold power, but with a stronger hand this time, or whether Taliban will take over the state, or whether a peace or power sharing agreement will finally come into place. But whichever way it is, India's relations with the regional parties will be reevaluated and it will go through a lot of reorientation so as to deal with any kind of threat, be it political, economical or security threat that could confront India and the regional states with respect to Afghanistan. So far, India has remained very non-committal with respect to Afghan and the Taliban issue. But I think the time has come for India to step up its efforts that can actually transcend into making uh, a more stable and peaceful Afghanistan and South Asian region. Thank you. Jan, what is your opinion on this issue? Yes, with respect to Afghanistan, I think first we need to understand what is India's role and stakes in Afghanistan. See, India's role has mainly been in reconstruction and development of infrastructure in Afghanistan, like roads, power plants, dams, etc. And India has invested around $3 billion in Afghanistan in all these projects. And also India is not a a direct participant in Afghanistan's security architecture, although it provides training to Afghan's armed forces. And India continues to maintain that the peace process must be 
Afghan led, Afghan owned and Afghan controlled. Now about Afghanistan and Afghan government and Taliban, then India works only with the Afghan government. Whereas the other powers, those who are uh, involved in the peace process, they do engage with Taliban and they have engaged with Taliban all along during this uh, peace process. The US, Pakistan, Iran, Russia, China, all these uh, regional and extra-regional powers. So compared to that, India's role has been limited in Afghanistan. Also, another point is that although India-US relations have grown strong over past three decades and they continue to grow strong in especially in a strategic area but when it comes to Afghanistan then Pakistan is the preferred partner of the US in Afghanistan and also we have seen in recent times China is also trying to gain a foothold in Afghanistan uh, it has to uh, some extent because recently, just around two or three days back, China, Pakistan and Afghanistan's foreign ministers, they held a meeting on the, on the future of Afghanistan and how to cooperate. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is an important factor which uh, India will have to deal with. China's increasing influence along with Pakistan. And it is true that uh, stable Afghanistan is in the interest of uh, its neighbors as well as uh, other powers. And also India considers Afghanistan as a gateway to Central Asia by way of the route it is developing through Chabahar port in Iran. So it remains to be seen how much stable Afghanistan remains after the US withdraws and whether India can continue with its developmental projects and its proposed gateway to Central Asia. And so another point is that when we consider India-Pakistan as uh, bilateral relations, they are almost considered as enemies of each other. But Pakistan has an advantage over India because of its influence over Taliban and its proximity to Taliban. So Afghanistan is one area where Pakistan can exert its influence. The kind of India is trying other countries in neighborhood like say Bangladesh or Maldives where it is involved in countering China's influence. So Afghanistan is one such country where Pakistan enjoys that advantage over India's role is still very restricted. So I think India will have to wait and see and have to continue working with Afghan government. And it's not really clear whether India would actually go ahead and engage with Taliban. So far it uh, hasn't. So India's options as of now remain limited in Afghanistan. That is what I think. Thank you, Neon Jang. It's indeed very interesting. It leads me uh, to the next question. Purnima, we'll start with you again. What is your main takeaway from the COVID-19 crisis right now in India regarding India's global and regional allies and its relationship with them? Okay, so India's relations with the world and the region specifically with respect to the pandemic can be viewed in two ways actually. One is the vaccine diplomacy that uh, India was engaged in for a uh, period of time and other the kind of support it received from the international community after the onset of the second wave. So while being exceedingly criticized for channeling vaccines to states in the neighborhood or to states outside the region or even to the UN peacekeeping mission, the vaccine diplomacy has been an integral part of India's global responsibility. And uh, while looking at the bigger picture of why India invested in vaccine diplomacy, one has to see that not all the ingredients or even the processing of the vaccines are done solely in India, right? And international cooperation in this regard was very necessary. 
So that way, vaccine diplomacy actually helped in India getting that international cooperation. But however, the second wave demanded India to cut down on its global outreach and uh, focus on vaccinating its people to look inside because uh, of the scary numbers that have been uh, falling prey to the virus. So this is when China had found the opportunity to offer vaccines to the other South Asian states who themselves were very badly hit by the COVID-19 crisis. Nevertheless, as experts opine, it has to be kept in mind that such gestures from China will be accompanied by some or the other political interests in those states. And also given that the cost of Chinese vaccines are almost double than that of the Indian vaccines. But as desperate times call, uh, these states, these South Asian states have have been forced uh, to look for alternatives and uh, Chinese option is familiar to them. So I I doubt if this stand amounts to a vaccine diplomacy failure for India, like how the popular narratives go by. And moreover, much international support was uh, poured in when India was running short of oxygen. We had help from the UK, the US, Germany, and even countries like the United Arab Emirates, among others. And the French president even went a step ahead to defend India's management of the crisis when criticisms over criticisms were piling up both domestically and internationally. But uh, there have also been some hiccups in world forums, especially especially like that in the World Trade Organization with regards to waiving of the vaccine patents to India, which the U.S. has agreed to, but the European Union have been vehemently rejecting. And also with regards to the World Health Organization recognizing the COVAX vaccine, which has been demonstrated to be effective. They have been widespreadly used with respect to the frontline workers in India, but still the WHO hasn't been recognizing. But all that said and done, uh, there are some pertinent questions about India's international partnership, especially during this testing times. One is that uh, why hasn't the US offered to export its vaccines to India? Uh, while supporting the waiver of patents. And this has been a query raised by the European Union also. And uh, why hasn't the WHO approved of Covaxin? I mean, in my opinion, while the international partners have uh, showed solidarity for India's battle against the COVID, I think it remains to be seen what powers like US, UK and the European Union can do more with respect to uh, the current vaccine situation in India and in general uh, for India's fight against COVID. All right, that's a very interesting answer, Niranjan. What's your opinion on this topic? I think the main takeaway has been right from the beginning, the way India has responded to this pandemic. Uh, So if we start from 2020, when at the beginning, then in consonance with India's foreign policy, India started by responding in neighborhood first, like it convened a meeting of all the SARC countries, a strategy to deal with this challenge. And later on also, even before the uh, vaccines were manufactured, India have been providing medical assistance to a number of countries in the initial phase or like the first wave of the COVID-19. And after a development of vaccine, India has been engaged in vaccine diplomacy from January. Parallel to vaccinating its own population, India started supplying vaccines either as a gift or on commercial basis to a number of countries. So the point here is that whether or not India should have done that, that's beyond the question. But I think what India has done is that 
through vaccine diplomacy india has a significant amount of significant region and it has supplied vaccines to like african countries and south american countries central american countries so that outreach has been very large in this case and because of that india could receive help from number of countries when the second wave hit badly from march onwards that's uh, one reason and another thing is that regarding global and regional allies is that uh, countries have been viewing india as a as an important ally as an important strategic partner that is the reason india has received so much help from the us uk france australia the uae so it speaks about india's stature at global level as against the criticism that india is receiving as to the mismanagement but i don't think uh, it's mismanagement i think it was very much necessary and the basic reason is that india has maintained it's a global challenge and this needs to be dealt with only collective efforts can help every country overcome this uh, pandemic because it's not restricted to any one country or any one geographical location it has spread all over the world so response also has to be collective and uh, every country has to all the countries have to cooperate with each other if we have to defeat uh, covid-19 so i think that is where india stands with respect to its response at global thank you so much nianjan that leads me to my final question perhaps the most broad question in terms of topics to cover and it is do you expect a pandemic crisis to cause any major political and or social changes in india pornima that is definitely an interesting question i would say that one can definitely expect major political and social changes in india in the coming years looking at the political front uh, the central government is in trouble as it is accountable for the decisions made towards combating the crisis and uh, those that have led to the second wave that has proven to be mo- more deadlier than the first wave the debt tolls are very high and uh, certain policy mismanagement including a weak health infrastructure has caused unspeakable amount of damage to the country's stature these policy lapses coupled with already prevalent criticisms of the current government's moves both domestically and internationally they have posed a mammoth challenge to its prospects of being re-elected in 2024. What will decide their chances is the years leading up to 2024 National Assembly election. Of more concern is the 2022 election in the state of Uttar Pradesh. Uttar Pradesh alone contributes about 80 seats in the National Assembly and losing that would be like cutting a major limb of the BJP machinery. And uh, it is to be seen whether BJP can retain UP in 2022. And uh, that along with proactive policies to pump the economy which is currently going in negative rates and uh, rampantly uh, reducing unemployment rates and boosting the health infrastructure uh, will actually help uh, also making vaccines accessible and affordable and some other groundbreaking social sector reforms are imperative for the current government to once again prove its credibility and to beat the amount of opposition that it has been facing over the months and on the social side yes the nature of lockdown and social distancing has already casted its impact on the society not only in india but around the world but in india it seems to be deeper due to the number of deaths that have shattered families and because of the 
health infrastructure and uh, because of the unemployment rate and daily workers and migrant workers are the ones most impacted because of this ramification and many of them have even moved to their rural areas apart from that even education is something that has been badly hit by the covid-19 crisis and uh, the repercussions of it might not be seen immediately but definitely in the near future as uh, you know not all students have access to internet or a smartphone or a laptop and hence they have dropped out from pursuing their education and uh, one is unsure if these students will return back to school even when the pandemic ends and when normalcy is reinstated mm, but even if it is will it totally revert back to the pre covid 19 status i think the thing is online services and online education saves a lot of resources that otherwise have to be invested in physical move and uh, this is indeed beneficial to the economy and the society and has multiple advantages definitely agreed but the problem is the gap that exists between such online services and the people who are supposed to be beneficiaries of these services or uh, the gap is wide and until that gap is cemented the society uh, in the post covid 19 scenario could remain more divided and unequal and uh, at least for the short and the mid term and this is my submission Thank you for Nima and uh, Jan your opinion on this topic uh, Yes I'll start with social changes first and then come to political So even uh, social changes I think specifically health infrastructure will have to change I would say health infrastructure and especially rural health infrastructure has lot of room for improvement at a rural level of course even at urban level the health infrastructure needs improvement it's all right I mean all over the world we have seen even in the most developed countries with uh, most advanced advanced health systems they were unable to take this pressure of uh, pandemic and India does not have the best infrastructure so yes there is scope for improvement in this area and uh, second thing of course education is one area which has suffered a lot in this uh, past two years along with of course there are economy has suffered but education suffered because it will have long term consequences like recently the exams were cancelled and now it should raise the question about the education system in india and whether some innovative thinking should go into revising or like changing the education system in future so that it is uh, well equipped to face such challenges the reason is that see because india has uh, around 60% population or young population and out of that around 22% population is in the age group of 18 to 29 so even we consider that statistics then there is a a uh, large number of people who are in the urban age group studying so this will have major impact and like india talks about demographic dividend reaping benefits of demographic dividend but really education system needs some changes which will enable tap potential of the students and so that they don't lose out on their education now most of the education has been becoming online some exams are held online so india will in future have to invest in this technology more it's not that these factors were not present before only thing is that the pandemic has highlighted these shortcomings in the health sector and in the education sector so this is something the government should really uh, concentrate in future but should start planning about making changes and improvements in health and education sector so coming to the political part now i will continue with this these uh, issues should form 
part of political discourse. Uh, of course, uh, they did, they were a part, but uh, now I think priority, this is, this should form part of uh, the political discourse across different political parties. And as regards uh, whether this will cause any political change, then I'm not sure it would cause any major political change at national level. Yes, there have been government could have done better on many fronts, like managing the crisis and everything about economy, about health. It could have done better. But the reason I tell you why I'm not sure about any political change is that it's basically because the opposition is not united and opposition is unable to present any uh, single agenda or any focused agenda that could really challenge the present government. So that is one reason. It's not because the government has done well on all the fronts, but it's because the opposition is weak and it is not able to challenge the government in a united manner. That's uh, the reason why I don't think there will be any major political change. Of course, it won't be easy like it has been in 2019, but it it remains to be seen what strategy the opposition parties come up with in order to present themselves as a better alternative to the current government. So that is my, and still I think 2024 is a bit far. Uh, it's difficult to say anything now based on the current situation. So all I can say is that I don't see any major political change at least in the next elections. That is what my opinion is. Thank you, Niranjan. And, and with that, we, we conclude our session, a very interesting session. I'd like to thank the both of you, Purnima and Niranjan, for joining us in this episode. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you again very soon. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. Thank you.